We are finishing our summer sermon series through the book of James. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But James chapter five is where we will conclude our series this morning. James 5 verse 13, this is God's word. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and, the heaven, gave, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. As we finish up this great letter from James, it's a letter full of practical, heavenly, divine wisdom. James gives us three things to reflect on and think about. Christians, first, should pray in all situations in life. Second, Christians should ask the elders for prayer when they're really sick. And third, Christians should intervene in the lives of others when they begin to drift. Christians should pray in all situations in life. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Whether you're in a a season of suffering or a season of singing, it should be a season of praying. No matter what season you find yourself in, prayer is the most important thing we can be doing. Paul says in one of his letters to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we pray 24-7. It means that we pray throughout the day. We reflect upon him as we read his word and as we seek his will to be done in our lives. So whether you're suffering or whether you're in a time of rejoicing, the appropriate response to any situation you're in is to pray, is to pray to the Lord, to talk to him throughout the day The first mentioning here is that is any one of you suffering, among you suffering. The word suffering means distress. It means to be stressed out. And I'm looking around the room at a lot of stressed out people. Why? Because we're starting school this week. And I know what that means because I have four kids in school. And I know what that means for you, particularly teachers and administrators. It's a busy, busy season. You've had all summer of break. Many of you have. And now you're gearing up for a crazy, busy season week in a crazy busy semester. Some of you aren't in school, but you're in a particularly busy season in your life with work demands or with family demands or fighting with illness. What is our appropriate response to be when we're in seasons of stress? It is to pray. It is to pray. But so often we put prayer on the back burner. For those of us who might be suffering maybe through a mental illness or physical ailment. We are quick to go to the doctor for help. We're quick to go for medication. Those things are fine, within reason for medication, within reason. We're also quick to look at how we can solve the problem financially or physically. 
But yet so often we don't think about prayer. Prayer is the most important thing we can do in times of stress, in times of suffering. So keep that in mind as you enter a school year, as you enter this this semester, as you enter this season. Not only do we suffer should we pray or when we suffer, but we also should pray when we're experiencing good times. James mentioned if you're cheerful, another translation, if you're merry, if you're in good spirits, if you're happy, what should you do? You should sing songs of praise, prayer. You, you praise the Lord through your prayers, even in, re, in singing in response to the good times. Some of you are in a good season. Some of you are pretty happy with life. Some of you are happy with the relationships you are in right now. Some of you are happy with your job or with your school. Some of you are just doing really well. And I want to give you permission because I believe the Lord is giving us permission here to not feel guilty about that. And so often we, we feel guilty when we're happy and when we're in a good season, but that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us if you're in a good season right now, celebrate, be thankful, praise the Lord for the season that you are currently in and don't feel bad about it. Now don't rub it into somebody and sing songs to a heavy heart for those who are suffering. No, don't do that. But sing songs of praises to the Lord. Be thankful for the season that you are in because it is a season. And as I was reflecting on this passage, I couldn't help but think of Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time for everything. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Seasons. We go through seasons throughout our lives. We go through ups and we go through downs. We go through highs and we go through lows. Some of us are in a really low point in our lives. Some of us are mourning and weeping, while others of us are in a high point in life. We're laughing and dancing. I want to remind all of us, including myself, seasons. You're in a season. So if you're in a really good season, praise the Lord for it. But it's just a season. The school of hard knocks is coming. If you're in the school school of hard knocks right now, it's a season. There will be good seasons to come. So have hope in that promise. Have hope from Ecclesiastes 3. Our appropriate response, no matter what season you find yourself in, is to pray. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but James was a man of prayer. The historian Eusebius, he he said that James, his knees were like that of camels. They were hard like camels because he was on his knees so often praying. This morning, I was at the military base doing a couple devotions, and I got to be with uh, Tyler Miller and the engineering group this morning. And as I'm giving a devotion afterwards, I talked about James and how he had knees like a camel. And this airman came up to me after and said, hey, chaplain, he said, my grandfather once told me that he put his shoes underneath his bed because every morning... He would get on his knees to get his shoes to put on for the day. And it reminded him to pray on his knees. He said, chaplain, you wouldn't believe it, but I'm doing that today. And I told him, you just gave me a good illustration to use this morning. (laughs) So I did it. What a great idea, right? To literally put your shoes under your bed as a reminder to pray, a reminder to get on your knees and to start the day off in prayer. So as you approach the school year, remember that. Remember to, to do that. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to put my shoes under my bed. It'll be an interesting thing to 
exercise to, to do. But again, James had these knees like camels because he believed in prayer. You think about gymnasts and they're built, they're built like gymnasts. You think about athletes who run, their feet are built like runners. You think about people who work in construction or landscaping, their skin is tan year round almost. You're like, man, I wish I had that tan. Well, they work outside and their, their skin is a little weathered because they're outside all day. In the same way, our knees are to be a little weathered. And if you've had knee surgery, pray a different way. But what do your knees look like? More importantly, what does your prayer life look like? The directive here is no matter what circumstance you're in, the appropriate response is to pray, to pray. So Christians should pray in all situations in life. The second thing we see here is Christians should ask the elders for prayer when they're really sick. Notice I use the term really sick. Uh, Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Notice how we're called to let the elders know when we're sick. It doesn't say that we're supposed to wait on the elders to come to us. No, it puts the responsibility on each one of us to go to the elders because we are not omniscient. The elders of the church, we don't know everything. We're not God. So please don't get your feelings hurt if you think we've heard it about your sickness and we haven't called you yet. More than likely, we haven't heard it. We haven't heard about it. So this puts the direct responsibility on each one of us to tell the elders. And notice the other thing it mentions. It says, call the elders plural. It doesn't say call the elder. I love when I hear from you and I want to continue to hear from you. At the same time, we also have 18 elders that you can talk to as well. So know that, because some of you may not want to come and talk to me, but fortunately, we have a plurality of elders that you can go to and ask for prayer and to let us know how you're doing. This goes against the Catholic mindset, because the Catholic mindset would say that uh, this whole idea of unction, where a priest would pray over somebody when they're dying, hoping that they would be healed through the priest's prayer and through the priest himself, This is a little different here because it's saying the elders plural. We have an elder board here because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. That's how the church should be governed by elders who are called by God to serve and to shepherd God's people. And it all started back in Acts when Paul started the church, early church with many other apostles and the apostles started it and they trained elders to then take on what they had established. And in Acts chapter 20, we read that elders are to shepherd and to steward God's people and to oversee their souls. So fortunately, we have elders who love you, most importantly, who love the Lord, and we're called to shepherd you and to serve you. You may not know this, but every week we update our prayer request. We hear from you, and and we as elder board, we have uh, women's leaders too, our leadership team, our women's leadership team. We also have other members of the church who have a heart for prayer that get these weekly emails, and we pray and pray and pray for you when we find out. So please let us know when you need prayer and when you're in distress and when you're not doing well, because I promise you, we will pray for you. You may not know this, but every fourth Tuesday of the month, the elders of the church, we gather together and we go over about five pages of prayer requests. Now, it seems alike, like a lot, and it is, but honestly, that, that should be 50 pages because every one of us in this room have something to pray for. We all have something going on, and it could be good that we can praise the Lord about, 
But please let us know. We want, we want to see that list grow. We want to see it build. But as we're praying, we pray, we, we pray over you for that hour. We talk about you in a positive way. We pray over you. And then after that, we, we disperse and go in twos and pairs to churches or to homes. And we go to individual homes and we pray for you. Last year, David Forbes told me, I think we had around 70-ish homes that we visited. We want to do more this year. And if you don't want us to come to your home, that's perfectly fine. We can Zoom call with you. You can also come to the church and we can pray with you or meet off-site somewhere else as a group. But the directive here, again, is for you to call us as elders and let us know when you're really sick. And what do we do? Well, we pray for you. We can also anoint you with oil. Well, what in the world is that about? Well, there were two purposes of oil. One was medicinally and the other was ministry, for ministry. Medicinally in that, you remember the, the parable of the Good Samaritan when the Samaritan found the, the man who was injured on the road, what did he do? He put him on his donkey, he bandaged his wounds, and then it said he put oil on him. Why? Oil symbolized that of soothing. It was soothing for the person who was not feeling well. So it was used medicinally, but more important, oil was used for ministry. The anointing of oil represented that of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Spirit. And if you think about how a king or a priest, uh, whenever they were anointed in that position of authority, they were anointed with oil because it symbolized the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them, his power that is on the leaders. So think about it that way. So whenever we're called to be sick, when we're sick to call the elders, the elders come and put oil on you to soothe you, but more importantly, to reveal that the Holy Spirit is with you. He's with you and he's here to help you in no matter what situation you're going through. And so that's what the oil thing is all about. But, but I also, as I was studying this, I thought about when Jesus healed the man who was born blind. What did he do? He spit and he used his saliva to, to heal the man. Now it's kind of gross, but why did Jesus do that? Well, he did it really to comfort the man. He did it to help the man feel it and to hear it and, and, and to see, okay, this is tangibly something that I can hold on to as I'm praying for healing. But let me ask you the question, was it, was it the saliva that healed this man? No. Is it oil that heals us when elders put oil on us? No. What is it that heals us? It's Jesus. Because if you notice in the text, James went on to say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus will we be healed and restored. It's only in the name of Jesus that a person can be truly healed by God. It's not by oil. It's not even by the elders, but rather it's by Jesus. But again, I want you to think about how the oil is really just a tangible way of assuring us that we can be cured through the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 continues, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. What does the word save here means? It, it really has a double dual meaning. Uh, for one, it goes on to say he will be forgiven if he's committed sins. So that's talking more about spiritually saved like we're saved spiritually, but it also has the implication that 
we can be saved physically, like a lifeguard saving a person who's drowning and bringing them back to life physically. That's the word save here, sozo in Greek. So the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. There are times that I have experienced, and this is part of the joy of being a pastor, is when God answers prayers and when he heals people. And we have seen over the years, I've been here 10 years, we've seen a number of people be healed physically as we pray for them. It's amazing. But here's what I also wanna say. It doesn't mean that you will always be healed when you're prayed over by elders. God may choose not to heal you. And that's what's hard. This goes directly against the whole prosperity gospel. If you just have more faith and if you just pray and if you confess your sins and you're confessed up and prayed up, then God will heal you no matter what. That's bogus. Because there's story after story after story of people who didn't get healed. I think about Paul himself. He had that thorn in the flesh the rest of his life. He was never healed and restored. I think about times when he was with Timothy who was sick and times when he was with Epaphroditus who was sick. They weren't healed and God didn't use Paul to heal these men. Now, some of you here have had chronic illness for years and it's hard. And you've, you've asked us to pray for you. We're praying for you. We're continuing to pray for you. You've, you've done everything in the book because you're just saying, I just am waiting to be healed. Still believe God can do anything, you know that. But the reality is he may not choose to heal your physical ailments. But here's what I love about the verse here, verse 15. He can save us. It doesn't always mean physically, but it can mean spiritually. It can mean mentally and emotionally. I wanna give you an example. There was a pastor, Tony Campolo, years ago, and he was called by a member of his church, and this lady called him, and she said, Pastor, my, my husband has cancer. Uh, he's dying, and he's been fighting this for several months now. Can you just pray with him? And he said, absolutely. So right, right as he got off the phone, he ended up calling her husband, and he prayed over the husband. Well, two days go by, and the wife calls the pastor back, Pastor Campolo, and, and she said... Um, uh, Pastor, my husband, um, he's no longer suffering anymore. And Campolo thought, oh, he's healed. Praise the Lord. And she said, no, he's not healed. He's dead, but he's in heaven. And he said, well, why are you thanking me? <laughs> you know, I'm a little confused here because I thought he was healed. And why are you saying thank you? And she said, well, Pastor, he wasn't healed physically, but after your visit with him, after you prayed with him, after you gave him those encouraging, comforting words, do you know what happened to him? He completely turned around. He started being positive. We even sang songs together. We were reading scripture together. We were praying. We haven't prayed in years. My husband finished well. His faith was restored. You see, that's where I'm getting at here. That's where I'm getting at. And I believe that's what the Bible is getting at, is that God may not heal you, but he can heal your soul. 
He can nourish you. He can comfort you. Prayer may not remove the affliction you have, but it most certainly can transform it. You may not get cured, but you can be healed. Verse 15 continues, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. What's interesting here is there seems to be a connection between our sin and our sickness. In other words, when we sin, we can get sick. That's not always the case. But there are times that we get sick because we have sinned. Think about David and Bathsheba. They ended up losing their child. That was a big sin. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied to the church. They had their lives taken from them. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul mentions the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. When you come to the Lord's supper and you haven't prepared your heart for it, you can get sick. And people got sick. They even died because they approached the table in an unworthy manner. That's pretty real stuff. So there sometimes it is a correlation between our sin and when we get sick, but not always, not always. Uh, think about the time when, when Jesus was going to heal in John 9. He was gonna heal the man born blind. And the Pharisees went up to Jesus and they said, oh, what did this man or his parents do that made him to be born with blindness? What did Jesus say? He said, it wasn't because of their sin and his sin that he's blind. But the reason he's blind is to show the power of God in his life. If you're going through cancer right now, if you're dealing with a lot of sickness in your own life or in your family, how is God using your sickness for his glory? Have you ever thought of it that way? How is he using that to bring him glory? That's what Jesus is getting at here. John 9, that was the sole reason this man was born blind. To point to someone greater, Jesus. The other thing I just want to briefly mention here is if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. You know, what I think is interesting here is the importance of confession and the power of confession and how we need to confess our sins to one another. I'm not saying go and tell everybody your dirty laundry, but find one other person. If you're a man, find another male. If you're a woman, find another woman. Don't rely solely on your spouse to be that person. Go to another man, men. Go to another woman, women, and confide in them. Someone you trust who has your back, who can keep things in confidence. But we need that. And I just want to briefly talk to men. Men, we struggle with this. We're going 100 miles an hour. We don't like to be vulnerable with other guys. It's kind of weird. But in reality, it's so necessary and so important. And so guys, if you don't have another man in your life that can speak into your life, then you're doing something wrong. Please find another man in this church that you can share life with and even confess your sins too. Because I have found in my time, as I do that, it is so rewarding and fulfilling. So again, whether you're a man or a woman, find somebody that you can confess to. And there's power, great power and healing in that. 
oftentimes you'll be healed after you do the confession. Because you're like, oh, I got this off my back. And then there's accountability of people following up with you and supporting you. There's great power in confession and there's great power in prayer. And as James wraps up this section on prayer, he gives a great example of Elijah, verses 16 to 18. The power or the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. A lot of people in this day and age, they put Elijah on a pedestal. They said he was like a superhero. But I love the reminder here that he was just a man like you and me. And we know he was just a man like you and me because what did he do after the great miracle that we read about in 1 Kings 17 and 18? He ran away from Jezebel because he was scared of this queen who was gonna kill him. He ran and hid in a cave because he was scared. It just showed his humanity. But yet there were times in Elijah's life where he had a tremendous amount of faith and prayer. And I love the NIV, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And in this particular example, you go back to 1 Kings 17 and 18, you can read about the drought that Elijah prayed for and then the rain that God provided. And boy, did he provide that day for his people. It emphasizes the power, the power of prayer. Prayer can heal us spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. And we should pray in all seasons, in all times. The third thing that we see here is verses 19 and 20, that Christians should intervene in the lives of others when they begin to drift. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Do you know where the word wandering comes from? It's the Greek planeo. It's where we get the word planet. You think about a planet in the solar system, the universe, you can kind of see it kind of floating around on its own. This is the reality, my friends, is that we can go through seasons of spiritual drought where it's a dry season and we begin to drift away from the Lord. And we become basically independent and autonomous. We're away from the body of believers. And that's a scary place to be when you begin to isolate yourself from other Christians because you don't want to hear what they're going to tell you because they know they're going to tell you hard things. This person that James was referring to was a person in the church who had wandered from the truth or they've wandered by living a sinful lifestyle and they enjoyed that sin that they were embarking in. What's the instruction here? All of us, if you know someone is wandering from the church, from the faith, it is our responsibility to run after them. Just as Jesus gave the the, the parable of the the lost sheep where the the shepherd ran after the one who ran away or or the lost son where the prodigal son comes back and the father runs after him. That's what we are to do when we know of somebody that wanders from the church, from from the Lord, we run after them and we try to restore them and it will save them. Now, if they're already a believer, then they're saved. But what this can mean is that they're saved from a lot of grief and a lot of trouble. If they're a non-believer, it means they're eternally saved. And there's a great reward for that if we can bring people in. But here's the hard news. All of us are prone to wander. We're prone to leave the God we love. 
You know that line from Come Thou Fount, don't you? It's one of the best hymns ever written in history. We sing it to this day in this church. We sing it all the time. The author of that hymn was 23 when he wrote it. He wrote, Come Thou Fount, and he talked about how there's streams of mercy that never cease, and they call for songs of loudest praise because of God's mercy. You know what happened to this 23-year-old about three years after he wrote the song? He wandered away from the Lord. He got involved in a sin that he loved, and he he couldn't get away from it. And because of that, he continued to drift away from the Lord. Until one day, I kid you not, this is back in the day when they had stagecoaches. It would be like a train today. But he was on this stagecoach and he's living in sin. And all of a sudden, this girl next to him is reading some article. And she reads this article out loud. And you wouldn't believe it. It's the very words of Come Thou Fount, the words that he wrote. And the woman reads this out loud and she says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And the man, Robert Robinson was his name. Robert Robinson looked over at her and he said, his face was pale. (laughs) And he said, ma'am, you wouldn't believe this, but I'm the author of that hymn. I wrote that song about three years ago. And she said, are you kidding me? And he said, yeah, and I'm not really living by that song anymore. I have wondered, and I don't feel God's presence anymore in my life. And she said, I want to remind you, Robert, that his mercies are always flowing, always flowing. And they call for you to sing a song of loudest praise. Don't give up. A few weeks go by, and Robert Robinson, he turned a corner He confessed his sins and he followed the Lord again. The Lord grabbed a hold of him and reclaimed him back. And he ended up dying a good and faithful servant. We've talked about a lot today. We've talked about a lot through this series. But my question to you is, how's your prayer life? When you're going through hardship, where do you turn first? When you're going through good seasons, who do you thank? When you're really sick, what do you do? Are you wandering from the Lord today? If you're wandering, God is calling you back and he's saying, come back. I want you. I want a relationship with you. So let today, as we're gearing up for back to school, let today be a day where you are revived and you're energized and you're ready to tackle what God has in store for you this year with great faith, great courage, and great confidence.